I think it's all about this view we took 20 years ago that software was going to be a tool for good and a tool for increased kind of productivity in a very wide variety of kind of jobs and end markets. And, you know, that's a trend that doesn't play out, you know, in five years or seven years. You know, it actually plays out over kind of multiple decades. So welcome to the uh, latest episode of the HG Orbit podcast. Uh, we're closing out 2022. So an informal conversation with my friend Nick Humphreys, who sat it on this green sofa opposite me. So Nick, something of a turbulent year, perhaps 2022. What do you take away from it? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me onto uh, Matthew Brockman's couch uh, for a bit of year-end therapy. Um, um, you're right, it's been a very, very good, a different year. I think from a uh, software market point of view, you've got to really kind of split apart two quite different things that are happening. You've got kind of public markets and private markets that are in some ways doing quite different things. Um, and so... There's a big debate about valuations between those two markets right now. Public markets, of course, are the price of the marginal share that's trading. Um, and that's always going to move around incredibly frequently and in response to kind of the latest sentiment of the markets. Private markets had the advantage of obviously being longer term, being able to look at longer term trends. And often you're thinking about the value of a whole business, not the value of an individual share. So I think there's clearly a debate amongst everybody about those kind of relative valuations, but there's clearly been a sell-off in the public markets, and obviously private markets tend to lag and are kind of corresponding to that kind of sell-off. So big differences between those two in some ways. And then you've also got big differences between profitable and unprofitable kind of tech and software businesses. And if you look back over a long period of history, actually, over kind of 15 years, there have always been quite big differences in how people think about profitable and unprofitable kind of tech businesses. And it's in very rare periods where those two things essentially kind of are, um, you know, there's a, there's a premium and everybody ignores unprofitability. Everybody says it doesn't matter whether you make profits or not. It happened in 99 and it's kind of happened again for about a kind of 15 month period, I think, between kind of like late 20 and, and late 21. Um, clearly, we're no longer in that kind of abnormal period so in a lot of ways, where the markets have reverted to is kind of where it's been for most of the last 10 or 15 years. And there's now a very big dissonance if you're not a profitable business anymore. So beyond 23, how do you, how do you see the very long term? I think it's all about this view we took 20 years ago that software was going to be a tool for good and a tool for increased kind of productivity in a very wide variety of kind of jobs and end markets. And... You know, that's a trend that doesn't play out, you know, in five years or seven years. You know, it actually plays out over kind of multiple decades. And if you start to look at kind of S-curves of kind of cloud penetration into the end markets that we talk about, tax accounting, healthcare, insurance, etc., I think we're all pretty clear that actually we're on the upswing of the first part of the S-curve. We're, we're nowhere near hitting the top end. So I'm still very, very bullish about the ability for what we do to be positive for the end industries in which we operate and you've obviously got that existential question about you know is software doing good or is software cutting jobs out I think we can see very clearly that you know the industries in in which our software kind of operates are not decreasing jobs not decreasing employment they're actually increasing jobs and increasing employment and there's a lot of data we've got to prove that over decades so 
I think it is genuinely kind of cutting out a lot of the kind of more mundane, more laborious tasks that people don't want to do, freeing people up to do things that are more creative and more interesting in all the industries we uh, we participate in. But I'm going to turn it back to you because I know you're very, very passionate about this and you're very articulate about it. So, I mean, what do you think about the long-term trends? It's, I think we're, you've got a 30-, 40-year trend line and we're in the first 10, you know, the, the innings two, innings three, as they say, you know, with our US colleagues. So... Um, You've got fundamental sort of Moore's law drivers of just performance. You know, you think about the iPhone that's in your pocket this year versus last year and the iPhone that was in your pocket five years ago, just the sheer level of sort of impact that's had in terms of, you know, people's workflow and how they can interact and, you know, and how that's behaving. Um, I think you've got this productivity question in Western economies. You know, so much growth, and the growth has not been that strong. Outside of, you know, if the very long-term growth is 2 3 4% GDP growth in these markets, most of that is immigration, so it's not been from productivity. And so there's still this, this sort of need to think about, you know, wage, the, the standard of living and wages and how you get productivity and how you, how you address that through automation and product. And as you say, make the jobs richer that people are being paid to do um, and less mundane and less form-filling and back office and more sort of advice or thought or, or IP-led. Um, and these are just such big trend lines. Um, and then, as, you know, as you know, I mean, the, the key thing I think we do by having 50-odd portfolio companies and three funds and the, and the scale of the company, of, of the organization we have is say, how can we expose our investors to that, you know, 5, 10, 15 times a year across 50-odd companies and give them that sort of very long-run macro, macro sort of exposure to what is, I think, probably the most obviously long-term growth part of the economy at scale. Yeah. And to me, this looks back a little bit into the question about valuations and those kind of things as well which is you've got short-term fluctuations and we obviously have to take those into account but the bottom line is if you look across the entire portfolio you look at the sectors in which we operate the end sectors grow at about three times gdp seven eight nine percent you know pick your individual sector but it's approximately that versus two three percent gdp growth and the companies we back on average grow organically top line at about 12 13 14 percent so this is fundamentally about long-term growth. It's been those stats for the last kind of 10, 15 years. So I think all the objective data backs up exactly what you said about this being a kind of like 30-plus year trend and we're in kind of like year 10 or something of that order. It's something I really noticed actually was coming out of COVID, which is you travel again and you go to some of the financial centres, and I'm particularly going to New York in the period, probably in the summer and over that period. And the sort of financial discussion of it's a market, the market's down, now's a buying time, the sort of private equity language of a lot of our peers around the sort of transaction and corporate finance nature of what we do, actually jars, you just hadn't noticed it for a while, relative to this idea of long-term investment, you know, equity in long-term compounding businesses. Actually, we're not particularly, we're not particularly good or focused on cycles, right? We don't, we don't want to, you know, we want to think about cycles, but we're not, we're not driven by them. We're not trying to be expert buyers in 23 and expert sellers in 21. We're trying to think about how do we maintain this sort of exposure the very long term in the wisest possible way for our for our investors yeah it's like i like i know we both hate the word deal yeah I, I don't think we're deal doers in any sense of the word i can try and obliterate it from a language i think we're investors and, and it's just a fundamentally kind of different uh, different mindset i think and i think that is genuinely kind of like again trying to be engineer trying to be object i know you're an engineer as well trying to be objective about it if you look at the businesses at the largest size in our portfolio, a number of which we've held for kind of like seven, 10, 15 plus years, those businesses, you know, we're seeing growing at rates that are at or greater than any time in their history. Um, 
and I think that's kind of testament to that kind of longer term kind of philosophy. And I think it is something of a differentiator for us that I know we're, you know, I'm very, very kind of focused on is how can we build more of these businesses that get to 5 billion, 10 billion enterprise value, but actually don't cap out. They've not been profit maximized. They've actually been investing in their business, in their employees, in a customer sat, so they can continue growing, you know, for the next five to 10 years. And the other thing I think about is almost 2020 and 2021 were the, were the exceptional years, right? If you think back, like, you know, up until 2019, things were, the, the economy was, was, was robust and things were, were, you know, normal trading. But then we suddenly had this period where into the COVID period, enormous money flows. And so the sort of financial effect of our industry and what people were willing to pay in a sort of almost a free money environment was so pronounced in that period, really almost from March 20, you can sort of see the spike in valuations. And then it stopping again, almost when it was clear that the easing was going to come off very sharply and inflation was coming through. It, you saw that period, that 18-month period was so pronounced. I think it's that, isn't it? It's the, it's the monetary easing, which is probably the right policy response, to be honest with you, combined with, in, in the in industries that we're in and backing, you suddenly get a huge boost in kind of productivity and, you know, people are at home and therefore usage of SaaS and cloud and all those kind of things, you know, gets enhanced as well. So it's not only monetary policy kind of helps you because money's free. At the same time, you've also got a massive kind of boost in demand side for those businesses that we back as well. Combine those two things together, it's not that surprising with the benefit of hindsight that you've got a real kind of peak for a 12, 15, 18 month period. How do you talk about, or how do you think about the, the impact on our strategy, our sort of longer term strategy for the last two years? What do we take from that? To be honest with you, for me, it's always been about consistency over frankly a multi-decade period you know so i mean our strategy hd was kind of born out of um all the things that we saw in the 1990s including the dot-com boom and bust in kind of 97 through to 2001 and you know we came out of that period frankly both of us even you a lot younger than we are now um and you know we realized some things we'd done well and some things where we'd made mistakes and frankly what we tried to do was to build a strategy that kind of took advantage and, and understood the things that we'd not got right in that period and said there's certain types of kind of tech and certain types of software that are actually very robust. You know, they actually perform in good and bad markets. They actually kind of, you know, are secularly growing over very long periods of time. They're maybe not the most sexy, highest growth things, particularly in a bull market, but they actually kind of go through bull and bear periods very well. So our strategy about B2B, back office, automation and higher productivity in professional and semi-professional jobs, which is a lot of what we do, really is built out of that kind of last upheaval and trying to kind of find businesses that will, you know, survive and actually thrive through periods of kind of like volatility, basically. So I think we've been very, very consistent about what we've done. We didn't get dragged into kind of very high growth deals. We didn't get dragged into B2C and other areas that weren't our area of expertise. Does that mean we'll be completely immune? Of course not, because, you know, we're bound to be affected by the general economy. But I think we've tried to insulate ourselves as much as we can from those external factors and, frankly, leave our investments to be all about how we execute ourselves. The line I've often used is we want businesses that are slightly boring on the upside, but also slightly boring on the downside. So we didn't have the same sort of peak and trough of kind of ex- extreme excitement in the, you know, in that two-year period where, where the, the money tap was running, running crazy. And you don't have the same effect when it, starts to, when it starts to come off and when it starts to abate. I think that's dead true. I've always felt like we don't look as good when the market's going completely crazy because we haven't got investments that are going to double and triple in a kind of one or two year period. 
but we look relatively strong and highly performant when things are a little bit more tough. And some of the things we have gone, you know, we have worked on in 2022, some of the response, to, I guess, to the change in the macro environment. Are there a few things you pull out, like things you've seen in the portfolio or things you've seen our, our teams do or our leadership teams in our, in, our, in our portfolio execute on? I think early on, you know, was to, to recognise that this might be the case and therefore from a client point of view to return a lot of, a lot of capital to clients, which we did, obviously. You know, we've been very focused for the last kind of two plus years on DPI, distributed to kind of paid in capital, and we've been trying to kind of get through exits. So we've got a relatively young portfolio. Um, second thing is to be pretty cautious about the rate of investment. And I think there's quite a dichotomy emerging between, you know, a number of our competitors that have kind of continued through 2022 thinking this was a buy the dip um, opportunity. And that could be the case. We'll find out in three, four years time. We've been significantly more cautious than that. And you know, we've been incredibly fortunate to be supported by our clients in raising 20 billion plus of new capital in the last kind of 12 months. We believe, you know, we talked about it a lot between us. It's better to be cautious in an environment where we don't quite know what's going to happen. And so I think there's been a pretty stark contrast between us and, and some of our competitors this year in terms of capital deployed. And we've been on the more cautious end of that. I suspect that's probably going to continue through into 23 as well. But I mean, I know you, you've got a pretty similar view. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would highlight, I guess, is just the work that's gone in in the portfolio in the last 12, 24 months. So there's an awful lot of work, obviously, from the teams that, that are leading our companies, for which we're enormously grateful during this period. I think the other thing is, you know, if I think about our portfolio team, I, you know, I was with a bunch of the CEOs and chairs in, in the US about a month ago, and they were highlighting work we've done on pricing and, you know, inflation protection, how you think about these kind of businesses reacting to a market where, you know, getting two or three or four percent sort of price increases every year was a real win. And now you're thinking about, well, my labor market is, my labor costs are going to go up by 7%. How do I react to that? And how do I systematically address that? And we've done that across 50 odd portfolio companies. And the, you know, the feedback obviously from the, you know, from the recipients of the work was, was encouraging just to how important that had been, you know, during this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think actually, I was just reflecting on it the other day. You think about what our chief execs have had to kind of cope with in the last three years. You've had a pandemic which was kind of I don't think predicted by many of us uh, which was a shock of global scale and somehow you've got to react within weeks to a situation where nobody's working everybody's got to work remotely you know customer support all those kind of things it's amazing frankly how you know the the chief execs and their kind of teams managed to react so fast and so well and we continue growing every quarter every year through that period now I think you've got an equally difficult point, you know, for the first time in living memory, or certainly most of our careers, you've got inflation at a level we've never seen, you've got interest rates going back to level we have seen, but it's kind of 15 years ago, and you've got to somehow manage both kind of price inflation, which we just talked about, but also cost management. And I think, obviously, I don't want to imply that people aren't managing costs historically, but I think kind of cost management and how you think about cost in relation to revenues that are growing well at the moment, but are pretty uncertain, kind of six, nine, 12 months out, I think it's a really difficult task. So we're spending a lot of time just trying to talk that through. Frankly, trying to look at some of our chief execs that have been through cycles like this before, you know, that are in their 50s and 60s and have actually seen things like this, and trying to pull on their experience for, you know, how they can talk, talk through some of those issues with maybe people that haven't been through that before in their career. You talked briefly before about the sort of our thanks and our gratitude to our investors who've supported us this year. HG more broadly, other things that we've been working on as we've thought about this year and preparing ourselves for the future? I, I mean, I, I guess the number one thing is, 
when you've had that level of support from clients, you know, that have uh, stuck with us through previous difficult periods as well. In 09, we had terrific support from our clients as well. Um, it's first of all, you just got to kind of say thank you very much indeed, be appreciative. I think, you know, you've got to also kind of stick to the knitting, which is what we tried to do. Um, and I think you lastly have got to have a strategy that you think is respectful of what's happening to kind of clients and you know, their balance sheets and their needs. So I think we said very clearly when we were raising the capital kind of in late 21, early 22, that we were going to be deploying that capital over a kind of three to four year period and we weren't intending to kind of come back quickly. That's probably a fairly common message now from people, but I think we were saying that, you know, nine, 12 months ago. And I think it's, it's you know, that discipline to kind of do what we said, you know, invest over a three to four year period, you know, make sure we've got a degree of, um, you know, not at the top of the cycle, there's a spread across multiple vintage years and those kind of things is really important. I think the other thing I'd guess I'd highlight is just continue to invest in our own business. If I think about how many, you know, we've added another probably 80, 100 people this year. Our portfolio team is probably 50% larger than it was this time last year. The capability of that team in terms of how far it stretches, I think has stepped up. We've opened two offices this year in terms of our scope in, in San Francisco and what we now do from Paris. So I guess, you know, as a private company, that support we're trying to translate into how do we continue to invest? How do we try and innovate? How do we challenge ourselves to improve every year? How do we get those marginal gains? You know, in an evolving market and evolving industry, we've always got to try and think about how we can be better in 2023 than we were in 2022 and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I always kind of tend to look at ratios of things like, you know, portfolio companies per partner or portfolio companies per executive and, you know, partner numbers that are approaching kind of 25 plus, you know, we've got 150 people across our kind of executive and our kind of portfolio kind of operations group. So with 50-ish companies in the portfolio, you're talking about two per partner, you're talking about kind of, you know, 0.3 of a portfolio company per executive. They're pretty attractive ratios so that when you get into a period that's going to be more difficult and where we'll inevitably have some things that we need to kind of go and deal with, first of all, our strategy means that that will probably be single digit numbers of companies that we've got to deal with and really help out. It won't be half the portfolio. It's much more likely to be four, five, six companies. And I think that's between you and I, kind of the numbers we're seeing at the moment. And then you've got really huge resources to be able to kind of go help those companies. So if we need to kind of parachute 10 or 15 people in to really help sort something out, which hopefully is not the case, but if it is, we've got the resources there. And I think if you think back to, you know, the GFC that we worked through, it was pretty much the same then. You know, we had a few things we had to sort out, but it was four or five things out of 30 or 40. It wasn't, you know, 25 or 30 things that we needed to kind of go and deal with. So that investment in resources relative to the portfolio size, I think is incredibly important. You're touching a bit on there on sort of 2023 as opposed to 2022. And obviously it doesn't feel like 23 will be particularly easier than the year we've just experienced. Any key themes in terms of next year and how we think about investment, portfolio, other themes in the business? Portfolio protect the portfolio, look after the portfolio, um, number one. So I think you first got to go to making sure that, you know, we're obviously very fortunate that we've got a track record where, you know, we've impaired less than 1% of capital over the last 20 years. And we have a very high proportion of our investments that return 2x or 20%, I think it's 93% or something in the last count um, for the last 20 years. So that record is very valuable to us. And we think our strategy is kind of been geared towards delivering that in the future but clearly at times like this you get really tested so first point is portfolio from a negative point of view which we all know going to focus on where we might have some issues I think in doing so though 
you have to also then flip entirely the other way and also look at the kind of portfolio companies that actually are sufficiently strong, well capitalized, with great management teams, cash on the balance sheet, lots of facilities. And because we back a number of companies that are very acquisitive, I think in a kind of more muted economy, organic growth will clearly be harder to come by at some point in 23 or 24, I think. But actually that gives those companies that are M&A focused a real opportunity to go and buy some great companies that perhaps weren't available a year or two years ago, venture backed, plenty of capital around, weren't going to sell out to M&A. And now, particularly because I think of the style of companies we back, which are actually great for entrepreneurs to sell to and actually become part of a larger group. You know, I think there's some really good opportunities for some of our bigger platform companies to buy great businesses at fair and, and reasonable prices in 22 and 23. I, mean, I think it's also fair to say we will we will continue to try and invest capital during 23, I guess, in new deals, but at, a, at being a, a more cautious, in a, for the much more cautious starts. So if you think about how you think about, you know, the macro impacts on, you know, buying decisions, purchasing decisions, pace of growth, um, inflation we've talked about again. So, you know, we're not really the great traders, right? We're not trying to absolutely time markets to buy at the bottom and sell at the top. In fact, we're probably the opposite of that. We're very much, much more long term. But so that sort of caution around how we think about, and also it feels like, LPs don't want us to be throwing money around, right? They, 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 they're, they're somewhat thinking about how do we continue the capital back? How do we continue to see money back from you all? How do we deploy carefully in this kind of market and thoughtfully, not in a kind of rush to try and time a, a kind of market cycle? Yeah, I mean, I think that's back to, look, we, we said very openly, we'll try and deploy the capital over a kind of roughly three-year period in very good accelerated markets. That becomes maybe kind of two and a half years, which I think is the shortest period we've had for a fund investment and in slower, kind of more tough markets for new investment, I think it becomes kind of four years. And that's, I think, what we've done on every fund for the last kind of 20 plus years. So I think it's a continuation, again, of that strategy. Is it right to be a bit more cautious in 22, given what we saw early 22? Yes, it was, and that's what we've been. I think, I think we both think, yeah, that continues into 23. And it's just because I think it's just too difficult to predict what the economy in 23 brings. It could turn out that actually this is a kind of fairly benign dip and we're going to come out of it in 24. Frankly, it could be much worse than GFC and it might continue longer and maybe even deeper. And certainly I'm not bright enough to kind of figure which one of those it is from a macroeconomic point of view. And I think in those kind of scenarios where you're not really sure, better for us, better for our LPs to have the kind of cash in the bank, as it were, and, you know, frankly, take it pretty cautiously. There'll always be opportunities. You know, we've got a big enough portfolio and a great team, so there'll always be opportunistic, um, you know, good opportunities for us to kind of find chances to invest in a special way. I just think it's going to be more muted than it has been, you know, in previous years. I mean, the other thing I think about is, is you know, certainly in Europe and the US, you're going to see some squeeze on living standards and so on. So just being, again, a responsible investor as we think about the 60,000 people who work in our portfolio companies, the 400 people that are employed in our business, how we think about their welfare, how we think about the foundation um, and continuing to, you know, that's obviously very well funded given the amount of money that's gone back to back to clients this year. And again, so how that's being used in terms of, you know, um, education and sort of social growth, because we know that's focused on, on trying to give people technology jobs uh, for the young. So again, having that be a theme which continues to resonate very heavily in our business over, over the next year as well, I think is, is important for, for us and for our, for our investors. Yeah, I mean, I think if you take it outside the little world that we live in, which is going to be in software, we're clearly incredibly fortunate. And there's just a lot of people that are going to have a very, very tough time. 
you know, for reasons nothing to do with themselves, you know, about energy price hikes and, you know, frankly, kind of government policies kind of two, three months ago that have hit them pretty poorly. Um, and I think we just have to do everything we possibly can within the businesses that we own. I think we're able to do that very directly. And I know a number of our businesses have put in place crisis funds, thinking very carefully about how we can kind of provide extra bonuses, other facilities to kind of match the kind of cost of living increases that people have got. And I know we're trying to do that everywhere across the portfolio. I think that's entirely right for us. And it's in obviously the interests of our employees, but ultimately in the interests of our clients as well to have businesses that do that and are long term about how they think about employee welfare. So we close out 2022. Any particular memories or, or comments you'd make to, um, to anybody in our firm or more broadly? I think from the firm point of view, we've clearly been very fortunate and, you know, we've had an opportunity to grow very significantly. We've had great, great support from our clients for which we're eternally grateful. And I think we've got some really interesting kind of opportunities for us, particularly obviously in a number of the new offices, as you say, Paris and uh, I'm moving to kind of France and also obviously kind of US more generally and particularly kind of the San Fran office that we've opened in the last kind of three or four months. We're very serious about those investments. They're very long-term for us, and I think they represent really exciting opportunities for us to do even more in those countries than we have done historically. So I remain a kind of cautious in the short term based on what the economy is going to throw at us, but very optimistic in the kind of medium to long term because I think we've got a great foundation. Um, and frankly, I just think we need to kind of keep our feet on the ground and you know make sure we continue kind of putting back and helping in the ways that we've talked about at the same time as grown our firm. Well, great. Thanks, Nick. And I'll probably just take one last chance to say thanks to all of our team and our staff as well for everything they've done this year. It's been a big year again, uh, and people working incredibly hard in our, in our business and, and in our businesses more broadly in our portfolio. So thank you to every single one of those people. 100% agree. Absolutely.